Hi there and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm James and joining me on today's episode are Anne-Marie and Mike from the My Wall Street Analyst team. This week, we're talking about all of the craziness that's surrounding Bed, Bath and Beyond at the moment, Apple's latest product event and why hardware will always be important to the company, and Anne-Marie gives one of the wildest elevator pitches yet. She pitches Build-A-Bear. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Mike and Marie, welcome to this week's Stock Club podcast. Um, we have something really serious to talk about before we start this week. Um, I'm sure you've seen the videos, the horrendous videos by now, that Mark Zuckerberg is apparently getting into MMA. Um, I, I myself personally just can't get past it, but but I want to throw it over to you guys first. Uh, what what do you think? What do you think of his skills? Do any of you any comments on on Mark Zuckerberg? Uh, Maybe maybe he might enter the UFC. Is there a UFC net in the metaverse? There's there's so much to dissect here. I think I think they might give him like put him in with the heavyweights straight away, you know? <laughs> Good enough for him. Um, I don't know. What what like it's stupid. I saw it. He looks weird. <laughs> <laughs> like what is there to say about that? <laughs> what do you think, Henry? I think he'll end up fighting Bezos and something. You remember when Bezos stepped down and then he got really swole really quickly? Yeah, I wouldn't I like think, to be in a ring or an octagon with Bezos. Yeah, I, I think there'll be some sort of charity event and they'll 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 duke it out. And um, I would assume that Mark will lose, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. My, why, why my, would they be fighting for in that? Probably like the island of Hawaii, something, like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something appropriate like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't matter if Zuckerberg loses because he can just go and make his own island of Hawaii in his, the metaverse anyway. So yeah, he's, just, he's fine. My theory is that this is kind of like a, a revenge of the nerds type thing, where he's like, mm. he's finally got enough money to get back at all the people who slagged him uh, all the years. So we probably better watch out. <laughs> I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure we're <laughs> top of his list. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. So I just want to remind everybody that is listening, and, and Mark, if you're listening too, I want to remind you that at the end of this podcast, as always, Mike and Henry are going to pitch me two companies. I'm going to pick one of them, and then we're going to have an extended chat about that company and kind of weigh up its investment opportunities. You can listen into this only in the My Wall Street app, but you can listen in for free. All you need to do is download the app if you don't have it, hop on over there, and you can catch on onto that extended elevator pitch for free okay guys let's get on to more serious business then and a few weeks ago on this podcast when i was away you guys spoke about bed bath and beyond and how it had been kind of caught up in in the latest wave of, of this meme stock craze that just keeps seem to <laughs> keep seem to going on well i think it's fair to say a lot has happened with the company itself since then so it's worth going back over the company and, and maybe pulling this apart in more detail for anyone who doesn't know probably people this side of the atlantic bed bath and beyond owns a ch- chain of so-called specialist stores that focuses specifically on domestic products like kitchenware home decor and linen founded in the late 70s the company reached a height of its popularity in the 90s and early 2000s before falling into difficulty like so many other retailers in recent years um Anne-Marie, i'm going to come to you again our resident american you probably know more about bed bath and beyond than, than me and mike combined Bed Bath Beyond seems to me like a real relic of the past, especially kind of that 90s. For some reason, I think 
they talked about Pottery Barn and Friends, but it reminds me of Friends for some reason. It's that mm. kind of era. What are, can you bring us quickly through some of the recent events that have kind of catapulted this company back into the news cycle? Yeah, I guess like it's the best way to do it is to maybe go back to even before the pandemic to kind of check in with how the company was doing, like even in 2018. So yeah. really, truthfully, like before we went into lockdown, before there were stay-at-home orders, like Bed Bath & Beyond was already in financial decline. Their revenue growth had pretty much completely stalled. They were kind of beginning to go backwards. Everyone was kind of like, this isn't looking great. <laughs> um, and their stock reached its absolute all-time high in February of 2015 at $76 a share. Since then, just come crashing back to earth. They hit $4.65 in March of 2020. Wow. And just before that, they had actually named a new CEO, a guy named Mark Triton. And he had previously been an executive target. He'd been quite successful there. And, and he basically was brought on board to be like, right, we're going to we're gonna fix this whole thing. So truthfully, right before March 2020, Bed Bath & Beyond had just initiated a plan to try and right the ship. And that's a really horrible and weak position to enter a pandemic in, you know, to be trying to fix things. So mm. it meant that they had announced already that they were going to be closing 20% of their stores over the course of the next two years. They were beginning to sell off. They they own a couple other retail chains. Uh, one's called Cost Plus World Market. And those like the Christmas tree shops. They announced that they were going to sell off those assets. Um, and they wanted to have a heavier emphasis on private label stuff. You know, they kind of wanted to be more known for, oh, if I wanted to buy this particular Cuisinart, you know, mixer, I'll go, go, go to Bed Bath & Beyond to get that. Mm. So that was kind of the idea going into the pandemic. And then the pandemic hit. And really, it seems like absolutely every analyst and investor on Wall Street was like, this company is going to go bankrupt. Like, there's no way that they can function without in-person retail which is kind of correct. And that meant that just about everybody shorted them, which is why they were primed to have a short squeeze. Um, So right before that kicked off, right as GameStop was also getting short squeezed, they had a 65% short interest. Wow. Which is, that's pretty high. That's that's about as high as you can go. So... um, yeah, I was got one of my subsequent questions was going to be why was Bed Bath and Beyond picked as a, a meme stock, but I, I think you've just answered my question there. There it is. Yeah, incredibly high short interest, and that meant by January of 2021, the stock was up to thirty five dollars a share, representing an increase of seven hundred percent, which is pretty pretty impressive. And it actually that was that was a wild wild time. Just yeah, <laughs> we were talking about this last week with James and Rory and how we were going through what was memed and what wasn't. That was nuts. Like, as in, I completely forgot that Bed Bath & Beyond was even involved in that because there were so many other companies at scale. (laughs) And it wasn't even, like, the best one. Like, BlackBerry and GameStop way outperformed them. That was just, like, an afterthought of the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. 700% 700 is the afterthought. Yeah, exactly. Unreal. Like, um, But it actually (laughs) stayed at that price point um, until about October when it fell by about 50%. But then it even stayed at that elevated price point until about March of 2022. And that's when Ryan Cohen got involved. And and Ryan... Ryan Cohen, he was involved in GameStop also pre-short squeeze. Mm. And he announced in March that he was taking a 10% stake in Bed Bath & Beyond. And this allowed him to pressure the board of the company for three seats. And then he also sent in this open letter, which activist investors tend to do, criticizing Bed Bath & Beyond and suggesting improvements. His main suggestion, which I think is fair enough, is he felt that management executives were being paid a huge amount of money for a company that basically was on the, blink of, on the brink of collapse. So he criticized that. He criticized they own a chain of baby stores called Bye Bye Baby, which is a pun because it's B-U-Y. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he thought that needed to be spun off. He had all these kind of actual legitimate suggestions and it was kind of, everyone was like, okay, maybe yeah. Bed Bath & Beyond is going to turn around. And upon the announcement that he had bought up these shares, Bed Bath & Beyond jumped by about 50 to 60%. And um, 
The short interest was high, but it was manageable. It was about 30%. So it wasn't a short squeeze when the stock went up this time. And just, um, just add some context there, Ryan Cohen. He's the CEO of Chewies, I believe, isn't he? And yeah. he's, he was on the chairman on GameStop too. And he's he's very well known, I suppose, around, again, this, this kind of meme like, stock circle. Yeah, he's kind of like this meme stock self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't he? When he comes yeah. on, yeah. everyone gets behind him. Yeah, and it does kind of now mean that he has this that association when people see him get involved with the company, they're going, oh, this is going to short squeeze yeah. because he's done it in the past. Um, and the, so the stock went up a little bit, but then I guess it kind of fizzled a bit. The market turned sour. People, you know, like the macroeconomic environment changed. And so after the initial shock of Cohen coming on board, the stock fell back down to about $4 a share. But then in August, this is when things get interesting, um, it seemed that Cohen was going to double down on his Bed Bath & Beyond bet. And so it leaked some online that a uh, bunch of Wall Street bets people got a hold of it that Cohen had bought 1.6 million call options with a strike price between 60 and 80 dollars that would expire in January of 2023. So just a reminder, a call option gives the owner the right, but not the obligation to buy stock and agree to price prior to expiration. So Ryan Cohen was essentially saying, I think this stock is going to be worth more than 80 dollars before January of 2023. It was trading at four dollars a share. Wow, that is insane. And this news spread like crazy all over the internet. Stock shot up. I think it went up like 250%, something like that. And then two days later, do we know what Ryan Cohen did? Sold the shares. Take a guess. Sold all his shares. Liquidated everything. Liquidated 10% of the company right off the oh bat. Sold all his call options. So Cohen's RC Ventures dumped its stock on the 16th and 17th of August at a range of prices between $18 and $29 per share. The firm also sold all its call options. And Cohen originally purchased his shares of Bed Bath & Beyond at an average price of $15 per share, meaning the firm made $59 million. Okay. Wow. I believe the technical term for that, or, or not for Ryan Cohn, but for everybody else, is being left hold, holding the bag. Yep, that is correct. But I mean, one lucky regular person did make it out alive. Mike, I believe you've yeah. been reading up on one lucky teen. I read up on this guy. Well, he's not a teen, he's 20, so. Oh, well, sorry, on, well, well, well on at this stage. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's just wild. He made 110 million quid trading the stock. Um, and just what it just seems to be the biggest stroke of good luck I think I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, it's a weird story to begin with. So basically, there's this 20 year old. He's like whiz kid, uh, maths and econ major, and he was given 27 million dollars from his friends and family to go and trade essentially, and he put it all into Bed Bath and Beyond oh in July God. of Jesus. in oh July of God. this year. So he owned about six percent of the company. Um, and he's kind of doing his best to play like the role of the activist investor and stuff. Um, so he picked up five million shares in July for five fifty, five dollars fifty. Um, he owned about six percent of the business. He writes to the board saying they need to restructure the company, raise capital, write down debt, and then he rides this meme stock to the very top and sells out around twenty-seven dollars a share the day before Ryan, Canon- Ryan Cohen uh, oh, announces wow. he's selling out. So he turned twenty-seven million quid into about one hundred and thirty million dollars. In a that, month, that kid, or, or wow. can we call him a kid? I don't know, but he is going to make some terrible decisions in the future because no, he thinks he is a he, genius right now. There is no. This is weird as well because like he's he's been investing since he was thirteen. Okay, he's he's written academic papers with hedge club, hedge fund founders. He's studying Latin, Sanskrit. He ran for president when he was eighteen. There's wow. there's there's a very strange backstory here of how a twenty year old got twenty seven million quid. And bet it all and bet bath and beyond, but it is just wildly impressive. That is um, what's the name of that article so people can look it up? It's in the Financial Times. Just Google your man's name is Jake Freeman. And Jake for anyone Freeman. wanting to follow him, he's uh taken up an activist stake in the pharmaceutical company called Mind Medicine. Okay. I think it does mm. like magic mushroom 
treatments and stuff. So, <laughs> so it just fits sounds, into fits into all of this perfectly, really. Yeah, sounds legit. But let's pull it back to Bed Bath and Beyond. Um, so you know, look, obviously a fairly a bit of a roller coaster ride for the company, but it's been going through even more recently. Um, some some I suppose the the tail end of this is really really tough times. I know there's been massive restructuring recently, which has has meant lots of closures, lots of uh, staff layoffs. Also, which is actually really tragic. The the CFO died tragically in the past few days as well, and and he was kind of at the forefront of these severe restructuring packages. So like you know we we come on this podcast and we laugh about the meme stock traders and and kind of this kind of um uh, I don't know what it is is a, is it group think or whatever that happens and and kind of you know there is a, there's a good bit of fun and and kind of joviality in it but are we seeing kind of with bed bath and beyond now the the hangover that comes from this kind of nonsense and that when a company gets so inflated by you know a group of investors and and you know goes way beyond its fundamentals that there is a real company and real people and and real jobs on the line for for businesses like this yeah, I, I suppose it's it's just the unfortunate reminder that in order for a company to short squeeze, it has to have this short interest. And companies don't just get a short interest for no reason. Like an analysts and investors have sat down and determined that the company is failing or that the company is going to fail, like it's going to go bankrupt. Yeah. You know, it's this 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 company is in perpetual decline. It is inescapable. It will, you know, it it will fizzle out. But like companies don't collapse overnight. You know, Bed Bath & Beyond isn't going to be gone tomorrow. Yeah. I guarantee there will be a Bed Bath & Beyond in a strip mall in Missouri in two years time. Like, you <laughs> You know, but um, yeah, it just means that like the environment, the the actual environment has to be created in order to get a short squeeze, in order to get these stocks to become highly volatile, in order to get them to go to the moon is a very unfortunate one. And it means that, yeah, people's jobs are at risk. People's livelihoods are at risk. And the tragic death of the CEO of the CFO is, is tied to this because he was named in a massive lawsuit that was brought against Ryan Cohen. And it's believed that he participated in a scheme essentially to pump and dump the stock with Cohen and that he knew that this was going to happen and that they agreed that they were going to buy out all these call options, inflate the stock price, offload a bunch of stock in August, and then walk away and leave all these regular people who were chasing the meme stock holding the bag, as you said. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just a, a reality of in order to get this erratic behavior in a stock, you have to have like a really horrible reality underneath. Yeah, and it's it's that thing, you know. I I think it's the term "hodl" is used so much among, amongst meme setters, but you know, if the company is is so fundamentally in trouble that so many people are shorting it yeah there might be a, a short squeeze but eventually that's going to come down crashing back down I think that's what we're seeing with Bed Bath & Beyond um, you mentioned there I, I think they should put it in their next, next investor deck that there will be a, a Bed Bath & Beyond in two years in a strip mall in Missouri um, do you think that this company will actually survive I, I imagine you do I saw one analyst um, had, had likened their restructuring to rearranging deck shares on the Titanic which doesn't scream optimism to me yeah, it's 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 difficult to say. I mean, the top concern right now is probably liquidity. They're running out of money. Like, tr- truthfully, like cash on the balance sheet like is, is running out. So uh, in Q1 of this year, they had $108 million in cash and equivalents. Um, that's down from $1.1 billion in the same period last year. That's a pretty significant drop. Um, they did make this like big announcement in their Q2 earnings that they had secured $500 million in the form of long-term debt. So in the short term, it sh- they should be fine. Like they should have the money to operate. But I don't know. I think reviving a business of this size that has not really effectively pivoted in any way to you know 
combat e-commerce, has not created an in-store experience that is worthwhile, that will continue to bring people in, does not have some sort of advantage of, you know, having exclusive products or making their own homeware or something like that. I just don't think that they have the characteristics of, of a company that will be around in 10 or 15 years. I just can't see that being happening. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on then. And it's that time of the year again, September. So that means we're being subjected <laughs> or enjoying what, whatever your perspective is to another Apple annual product launch event. Uh, we're actually recording this episode on Wednesday and it's actually right as the event is going on. But I'm going to do a bit of prediction. The consensus seems <laughs> to indicate that we're going to see a new iPhone 14, uh, updated versions of the Apple Watch and AirPods and, and probably a few other gadgets that I personally will never buy. Uh, Mike, I don't know how much of an Apple fan, fanboy you are, but considering that Apple has been running these you know, fairly well-lauded events, um, I think they started with Steve Jobs and, and have continued on since, how... Um, you know how important are they to uh, Apple uh, still considering their their push into services and, and things beyond hardware? Sorry, just a second. We got another Steve Jobs. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. We have questions for you, Steve Jobs. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you tried to keep it's, going. It's going to catch you on. Said, you acted like that was a completely normal thing to say. <laughs> Steve Jones. I was I was looking at Anne Marie in my on my Zoom when I said it and her reaction straight away. <laughs> this is like a tick view. Um, sorry, what was the question? Uh, how important are these events to Apple oh, still? Like considering sorry, yeah. it's it's not not move away from hardware, but but it's diminishing reliance on hardware, perhaps. Yeah, like there. It depends how much you're into twenty five dollar cloths, you know. Um, <laughs> And maybe that was what Bed Bath & Beyond was missing, was selling those little laptop cloths for 25 Microfiber bucks. cloths, yeah. Uh, in terms of being an Apple investor, these aren't important. We know a new iPhone is going to come out and it's going to sell a bunch of Christmas and go capitalism. Like I don't think Warren Buffett is sitting at home in Omaha watching this on his throne made up of Apple dividends, wondering how many pixels the iPhone 14 camera is going to have. Like. <laughs> I, I suppose what they represent is the cultural impact Apple has over like the US, most of the Western world. Like the fact that you were talking about Apple fanboys and they actually exist is nuts for a for a consumer customer consumer product. Um, mm. But I'd say what's what's of more interest to investors is how how these phones are actually going to sell once they're released. You know, so in spite of the mac- macro picture, Apple expects the 14 to do as well as the 13 initially. So its initial order for 90 million units was the same as it was for the 13. So, okay. Which is which is pretty good considering the the wider macroeconomic picture we're looking at. Um this this confidence is based on the fact that people have been holding on to older phones for longer. So in Apple's eyes they're hoping that this is in anticipation of the newer model coming out. Um I can't remember what analyst I copied and pasted this from, but there are estimates that <laughs> 240 million of 1 billion iPhone users have not upgraded their phones in over three and a half years. So they're hoping yeah. that this will be an outsized demand for the iPhone 14 coming around. So I'm sure taking all this into account, it's going to be great. And again, go capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of that scene in The Office where Pam holds up two pictures like to the same picture. It's every time a new <laughs> iPhone comes out, I'm like... You know, they've. It's just it. Well, I I don't get it, as I'm sure you guys can guess. Um, but look, Henry, consumers love these events. Obviously, Michael Mike mentioned the the kind of cultural impact of these events, and you know, there's always a few kind of cringeworthy moments as well that that come up on stage. But with services now increasingly taking up a larger percentage of revenue split, um, could we eventually get to a time when like these hardware for Apple starts to lose relevance? 
lose relevance even? <laughs> um, I, I don't think so, actually. From the way Apple acts in its desire to own more and more of its components and more and more of its manufacturing, it actually seems that it's still really interested in hardware and improving its hardware. Um, like, take a look at, for example, the M1, which is actually now the M2. They've done two generations of it, which is the chips that put in its computers. Since Apple has taken that portion of its manufacturing over, the performance of its computers have significantly improved. The M1 was three and a half times faster in terms of CPU performance than its Intel counterpart that they were using previously. And I think, you know, for consumers that are looking to have computing power, particularly people who might be working on anything, you know, that's um, processing heavy, think about people who are working in graphics, animation, design, mm-hmm. um, they have to have a computer, like they absolutely have to have the top performing computer. So I think that that does make Apple competitive. Those, those That type of innovation is still very important, even if it's not kind of the most eye-catching thing. You know, we tend to be looking at the iPhone and look at, oh, they updated the camera and they rounded off the corners or they made the corners pointy. But I think in terms of internal stuff like that for um, users can actually be quite important. And I think we will begin to see that type of innovation come to the phone. Um, Apple's really focused on the minute at developing 5G modem chips, which would go inside of its phones and its uh, and its iPads. And they're a little bit behind on where they wanted to be. We actually thought that we'd be getting those modems in this generation. Mm-hmm. That's been pushed back. We probably won't see them now until the end of 2023. But I think that that would be really important for performance. But not only that, it's actually important for Apple's financial performance as well, because right now they're completely beholden to a company called Qualcomm. They're essentially the only manufacturer of 5GB uh, modem chips in the world. Absolutely every tech company has to buy through this 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 manufacturer. No one else is making them. Apple actually sued them a couple of years ago for price gouging because they were so frustrated. And so that, that's you know, rich. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, so like we can discuss so like hardware innovation. You know, they tend to do a little bit with each generation. Um, But I think if they stay focused on the internal stuff, you know, it's of benefit to consumers. I'm sure, like, whatever Apple comes up with will make the iPhone faster. But probably more importantly, it means that their margins might get a little bit fatter. And so, you know, everyone likes software because so much of it falls to the bottom line. You could see that with a couple more hardware innovations. And I suppose the argument is as well that the hardware is the gateway into the software. You know, you you start paying for iCloud and, and, you know, Apple TV and stuff like that through mainly buying an Apple device. Yeah, yeah. It's just one big ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. I have I have, I have two theories. One is normal, and one is conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hur- hurry through the normal one. <laughs> okay, the normal one is that they're just going to start ha- hardware as a service and treat iPhones, iMacs, AirPods as basically you know service a service subscription model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that that's not my theory, but. You know, it's a fairly common enough rumor that that's their next step. But my conspiracy theory is much more interesting. So you know how air tags have become incredibly popular recently because airlines are losing yeah. uh, bags Luggage. and everything. Yeah. So that was an Apple-backed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Apple, <laughs> Apple paid all the airlines off to lose a bunch of bags, so people would buy air tags. <laughs> what do you think of that? Save them, save them, save them from the like the pandemic lows. <laughs> Gave them all money. You're like, you're going to lose all these bags in two years' time. In terms of possibility, I don't rate, <laughs> I don't rate it much. But in, in terms of an, an overall tier, I absolutely love it. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, keep keep that tinfoil hat on, Mike, because I, I suppose the other part of Apple that that you know is is very newsworthy at the moment is it's growing advertising business. So like the company has caused absolute chaos in digital advertising with its security updates and privacy updates over the past few years. Um, was this the plan all along? You know, are we going to see Apple's advertising business become bigger and bigger because they've effe- effectively blocked everybody off from it? Yeah, um, we talked about this at length 
mostly through the guise of Facebook's uh, downturn, but yeah, there was always the inkling that there was more to Apple's decision than just to protect user privacy. And I think through its actions rather than its words, that's kind of coming to bear now. Um, FT wrote an article in which it went through the number of advertising jobs Apple's currently advertising and it's quadrupled in the last two years. Uh, wow. It's actually looking to almost double its advertising staff to around 500 people. And it's really it's a brilliant article as well. They went through like the actual wording of the job posting. So one said the company is redevi- redefining advertising for a privacy-centric world. And another states its goals are to build the most privacy-forward, technologically sophisticated supply platform and demand-side platform. So yeah, they're basically completely doing exactly what everyone thought they were going to do. Uh, Evercore actually expects Apple to expand its advertising revenue to $30 billion in four years from about $5 billion today. Wow. Um, yeah, like, you know, the immediate question is, how can they get away with it? Like, in what world is a company able to rewrite the rule book, create this huge power vacuum as like Facebook and Snap are forced to adapt and then just expand aggressively into that space while it holds all the cards? Like, it's completely yeah. crooked. And I'm not... I don't, I don't buy the whole privacy angle either. I think it's a straw man to hide behind because nowadays anti-competition law, and I do not know enough about anti-competition <laughs> law, but it's largely based on its effect on the consumer and protecting consu- the consumer. So yeah. what Apple did is actually protecting the consumer in terms of their privacy, but they're what they've done is also completely anti-competitive. So it's kind of... I, I'm not sure if it'll actually get away with it, but it's really, it's fairly Machiavellian at best, we'll say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, as I'm not an expert on these either, but I, I can't imagine other companies will take this lying down. So I'd say we'll see quite a few uh, lawsuits pop up in, over the next few months. Let's move on, though. And I just want to remind everyone that if you don't listen to this podcast in my Wall Street app, Jump on over there and you can listen to the full version of one of our elevator pitches at the end of this episode. It's free to do so. All you need to do is download the My Wall Street app on iOS or Android and create your free My Wall Street account. Um, I also want to remind you that if you're a Revolut user in Ireland or the UK, you can now get a 30% cash pass back discount on a My Wall Street subscription in the Revolut app. Just search the reward section on your Revolut for My Wall Street and click through to the dedicated link. For anyone that does know, Revolut's trading platform is a popular option for many beginner investors. It makes it simple to start buying shares in over 800 companies, including many on the My Wall Street shortlist. Of course, with a My Wall Street subscription, you unlock our full shortlist of stock picks, as well as access to our entire Stock of the Month archive, our first looks, stocks coming onto our radar, everything you need to begin investing and building your portfolio. We actually just added a new stock of the month this week. So make sure to jump in and check that out. It's a really, really interesting one. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. 
What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Um, okay, guys, let's move on for this week's mailbag then. We're going to chat about something that's we haven't actually seen in quite a long time, which is a blockbuster IPO. So earlier this week, Volkswagen, the German automaker, announced that it was going to list its subsidiary Porsche on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange at a value of somewhere between 60 and $85 billion. Mike, look, Volkswagen is a, is a fairly well-known, iconic company, as is Porsche. How can Volkswagen list one of its subsidiaries as a public company like this? And I suppose more broadly, why is an IPO like this such a big test of, I suppose, global investor confidence? Yeah, well, like in much of these conglomerates are are able to uh, spin off spin off their their subsidiaries as independent companies. It's very popular. We'd imagine um, we talked about it on this podcast. I think in terms of Harley Davidson, Harley Davidson yeah tried to spin off its e bikes to get a an electric vehicle valuation on it. So that would be a popular kind of way of going about it. But this this is a bit different. It's really just more of a fundraising exercise for Volkswagen. Um, it's only about 12.5% of Porsche shares are going to be available to buy through the IPO. Uh, another 12.5% are going to be sold to Porsche heirs, who are VW shareholders. And then VW is going to retain 75% of the business. So it's 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 not a, a true IPO, I suppose. Um, all going well, Porsche is going to garner a valuation between 60 and 85 billion euros, uh, which is actually almost flat with the dollar now, so we don't even have to translate that. Um, So VW is looking to raise 10 billion uh, optimistically. Uh, Half of this is just going towards a special dividend for shareholders. Uh, The other is going to be put towards its electrification efforts. But even still, it would make it the largest IPO in Europe since 2011. The reason behind it, it might be similar to Harvey Davidson. Porsche plans to be 80% electric by 2030, so maybe we'll see it more of a pure play and garner a higher valuation. Also, uh, Fiat did something very similar with Ferrari in 2015. It spun off off Ferrari as its independent business and it was one of the more successful car companies in recent years. So yeah, it kind of makes sense separating, I suppose, the premium brand from the the boring old, you know, volume (laughs) automaker. Yeah. And Porsche is a cash cow as well. So yeah. It contributed 50% of VW's profit from passenger cars th- this year, even though it made up less than 3% of the total passenger car sales. So wow. I think what it's trying to do is cash in on its cash in on its best crop, we'll say, um, okay. through this IPO. Beautifully put. Uh, <laughs> you were t- Before we came on, you were saying something about Volkswagen was once the most valuable stock in the world as well. What, is, what, what was that? Yeah, I'm not going to be able to do this justice, um, but I'll try to do the cliff notes. Uh, yeah. We'll see. So in 1931, Ferdinand Porsche, <laughs> <laughs> Ferdinand Porsche designed the Volkswagen Beetle for Adolf Hitler. <laughs> I don't think Volkswagen like you talking about them before. Uh, World no, World before World <laughs> uh, No, so in 2008, there was this kind of huge arbitrage between Volkswagen's preferred and ordinary shares because Porsche were planning a takeover bid. So this led to a bunch of hedge funds shorting the 
shorting the preferred shares and buying the ordinary shares, uh, yeah. which meant that there was a 12% uh, short, 12% of the shares of Volkswagen were short. It turns out that Porsche announced on a Sunday that they did some fancy schmancy option strategy that once was settled meant it owned 74% of the company. Now, 20% of Volkswagen is owned by the German state, so that can't be touched. This meant just 6%, 6% of shares were available to these hedge funds, while 12% was already short. So basically, everyone, well, at, at least half of those hedge funds <laughs> were completely boned. Uh, on Monday, the stock climbed 149% as everyone tried to get out of the sex at, at the same time. The next day, it doubled again. And for a brief moment, it became the most valuable company in the world, worth $420 billion. Wow. This was for one day. Uh, I have some quotes here from the traders involved. So from Arndt Ellinghorst of uh, Evercore, he said, it was one of the most painful days in my career. The pain amongst investors was unparalleled versus any other market scenario I have ever encountered. Uh, another guy says, it remains the single biggest money losing situation I can remember for funds caught short. And a lot of them were. So, and this, this is like the beautiful cherry on top of all of this as well, of just rich people losing money is, uh, <laughs> Porsche didn't even have the cash to accept the shares. It, it accumulated through its options and couldn't complete the acquisition. Not only that, but the debt it built up for the takeover attempt threatened to bankrupt them and who bailed them out? I don't know. Volkswagen. Oh, <laughs> I haven't done that story half enough justice. There's a huge financial times piece. It's worth, uh, finding. Uh, yeah. I think it's the day Volkswagen became the most valuable company in the world. It's fascinating. The theme of this podcast is just don't short squeeze or don't get involved in it at all because uh, you're, you're going to get screwed at some it point. <laughs> it's like a Doesn't warning episode. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thanks for that, Mike. Let's finish up today with the elevator pitches as always. So guys, what company are on your watch list at the moment? Um, Anri, I'll come to you first. Yes. Yeah, speaking of uh, rich people wasting money, um, <laughs> uh, today I want to talk about Build a Bear Workshop, um, which is an American retailer headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, that sells teddy bears and other stuffed animals and, and characters. It's very much an experience store. You know, you go in, you pick your unstuffed bear, they stuff it. Actually, Rory was telling me he once went in there to buy a, a stuffed animal for a girlfriend, and they forced him to kiss the heart before they would put it inside the bear. Which I kind of I like forced that idea. him bunny ears. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I like the idea of the staff criticizing him for that. Um, basically, uh, Bilderberg is kind of in the middle of a, of a bit of a, a change-up. Um, for years and years, they were really associated with the American mall system. But as we all know, American malls are dying. And so under new CEO, new, she's been there since 2013, Sharon Price-John, she has basically been pulling them out of malls and putting them in other locations um, and placing them in really smart, strategic places like cruise ships. Okay. Can you think of a better place to put a build bear workshop than on a cruise ship where you're trapped with your child for seven <laughs> days and they walk by it every single day? Distract you'd be in build bear you'd be in you'd be in build bear every single day. Yeah. Ninety five dollars a bear. Yeah, so they're kind of in the, they're having a moment right now. They've done okay. really well coming out of the pandemic, so I'm yeah, I'm interested in them. Intriguing, intriguing. Uh, Mike, what company are you pitching me? I had great intentions with this company and then I looked at its balance sheet. So <laughs> um, the company I'm looking at is Jinko Solar, uh, second second largest producer of solar modules in the world. Um, look, you're just looking at the current energy crisis and the reliance on fossil fuels to know that it's going in solar's direction and there's been huge investment this year as well. Uh, Jinko actually... Uh, predicts that installations will rise at its fastest pace in nearly a decade uh, wow. this year and jump again 30% next year. So 
for the industry. It seems like it's certainly going that direction, but for Jinko Solar, not so much. It's got loads of debt, bad margins, unprofitable. It's Chinese-based, uh, Chinese-based US-listed stock. The outlook is very uncertain for them as well. So this is, I don't, it's a pity. Like It's a pity there aren't enough uh, decent eco-businesses on the public market. So hmm. yeah, if there's any listeners out there with some good ideas, please write into us because I've been kind of banging my head against the wall for a while looking for a good ones. I can't let you away anymore, Mike, with just like giving me a really crap pitch and being like, oh, I know. You, I you don't busy. want to do the longer one. I was too busy reading up on bloody the history of Porsche and Volkswagen. <laughs> you, should, you should have just pitched, pitched Porsche. That would have yeah, been I should have. <laughs> In 1931. Well, those reasons aside, uh, I'm hoping we get to hear a little bit more about Rory kissing the heart before we're putting into the bear. So, Henri, let's go with Build a Bear. So guys, if you're not listening to this in the My Wall Street app, this is where we're going to leave you today. However, if you do want to find out more about Build-A-Bear and what Anne-Marie thinks of it as a potential investment, jump on over to the My Wall Street app now and you can listen to the rest of our conversation for free. All you need to do is set up a free My Wall Street account. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like us to answer, elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle on future episodes of Stock Club, you can get in touch with us. You can find us on Twitter, that's at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok, that's at MyWallStreet.com, or simply just email us at pod at mywallstreet.com. That's P-O-D at mywallst.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends about us and don't forget to leave a review or a rating for us on whatever platform you listen to Stock Club on. From the three of us here today, thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you next week. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.